and welcome to Series 2, Episode 5 of the Sophos Naked Security Podcast. I'm Anna Brading and I'm here with Sophos experts Ben Jones. Hello. And Matt Boddy. Hello. We've got no duck and mark this week, so we've got no sensible adult. So I don't know how this is going to go. It, uh, it kind of feels like, you know, that sort of 10 minute period or the five minute period at the start of a lesson when the teacher's late to arrive. I'm getting flashbacks to being yeah. back at school. That little <laughs> period of anarchy before the teacher arrives, before somebody, it's only a matter of time before somebody chips in and says, you know, legally, if the teacher's not here in 10 minutes, we're allowed to go home. No. <laughs> legally, like. we are. I'm going to throw stuff at your heads. Yeah. Yeah. Are we allowed to go? Only if she's not here in the next five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Coming up on today's show, Matt talks about fishing. Ben talks about whether tech companies are listening to us. And I'll be asking you two lots and lots of questions. What have you been up to this week? I have been playing with Flask. Have you heard of Flask? A Flask. Yeah, not a thermos. Oh, not a, that's a brand of Flask, I guess. But but no, I've I've been playing with Flask, which is a a Python add-in which allows you to 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 start a is to to create a website using it rather than using Apache and PHP and stuff. Mm, exciting! How's it going? Yeah, it's great. It's great. Made a little test website with it. Oh, yeah, that's fun. <laughs> ben, I've been doing uh, less technical activities. Actually, I've been in Estonia for the last week. Oh, have you? Yeah, for my one-year wedding anniversary. Ah, oh, congratulations! Thank you. Was it nice? It was lovely. Yeah. Good. Ben, you're going to talk to us about the tech giants. Are they are they listening to our voice recordings? Well, potentially. That's uh, that's the question, isn't it? So. Um, yeah, over the over the past four months, the world's largest tech companies have admitted to using human analysts actually to listen to the conversations from their voice assistants and speech recognition software. Uh, so it all began back in April um, when Amazon uh, sort of divulged that they shared their Alexa recordings with thousands of contractors so that they could ultimately look to improve the um, accuracy of their artificial intelligence, the machine learning that analyzes that speech. So human contractors. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Human human ears rather yep. than would listen. Um, in July, that followed in swift pursuit, Google, uh, a whistleblower revealed that Google were also sharing recordings with contractors. Same month in July 2019, uh, Apple again contractors were outed that the that third party workers were not only listening to recorded recordings, but had actually overheard, accidentally overheard um, drug deals and sexual activity oh. as well through their devices. Um, then again, in swift pursuit, August 2019, Microsoft admitted that for their Skype translator and Cortana voice assistants, similarly, um, they had human analysts listening to that. And finally, Facebook contractors listened to Facebook messenger transcriptions as well. So yeah, the five largest tech giants, we've got Facebook, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon and Google hearing everything that's in said that's been said in proximity with their devices, potentially via human, a human set of ears, basically. Right. So over the years, I've actually refused to adopt um, one of these devices, an Amazon Echo or a Google Home device in my home, on the grounds that I'm not actually comfortable with uh, Google, Amazon, or anyone for that matter, keeping record of my conversations. I mean, could you imagine if people were listening to the conversation we we're having right now? Could you imagine what would happen? This conversation <laughs> in this room now. Could you imagine oh, if someone was listening? Yeah, to we wouldn't want that. Room? Yeah. I mean, imagine what they, if they were actually listening to what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. It would be worse. Well, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, so if, if you two shared my boycott of these devices on those grounds, then I, uh, I definitely dock my tinfoil hat to you. But it, it does prove, or rather, there's, there's, there's now evidence to show that these, uh, these tech companies are actually listening via human 
analysts. And actually, there's compelling there, there is compelling arguments for and against, you know, them having human analysts. Um, the the arguments for are to enable more accurate machine learning training, so that the speech recognition that they have gets more and more accurate over time. And also, there's the there's a potential argument as well around the sort of prevention of of crime and terrorism potentially. Yeah, which kind of hooks in with the or rather comes back to the uh, argument for the encryption backdoor to iPhones, for example, um, which there's actually a Naked Security article on uh, yep. that was published uh, a while back, but it still is relevant. It's kind of along the same lines of, of argument as that. Um, but the arguments against, obviously, are human analysts listening to every conversation you have. Um, it's kind of a gross invasion of privacy. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of, you know, Big Brother is watching and listening at all, all moments in time. Um, and also, there's the, it, by allowing these companies to, to, to analyse that information in this way, it potentially could enable uh, immoral use of that information. I mean, we, you know, we've all aware of what happened with Cambridge Analytica when they got access to this degree of personal information. Yep. And, you know, the moral dilemma that comes with it, how they then leverage that information. So by adding audio recordings and conversations and your day-to-day life and what you say when you think it's private into the mix, again, that um, sort of pays away for potential abuse there as well. So what's the encryption backdoor on iPhone? I don't think I read that article. So there isn't one, but it was but, yeah. the the argument should there be one. So it was a, a, a dispute between, I believe, it was Apple and CIA, it was, NSA, one of those. Yeah, it was about the Sam Bernardino terrorist, wasn't yes, it? Yeah, that's it. Exactly that. Yeah, 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 we'll put it in the show notes. You can have a read. I will have a read. <laughs> so the argument as to whether the NSA should have an encryption backdoor to be able to what listen into those recordings that Apple are no, making? it was an, it, it's if they should get the encryption backdoor to the devices so they can access any information on the devices. But then there is also the argument, should they be able to listen in and snoop and surveil- uh, enable surveillance on personal devices th- that are listening, basically? Should they have access to that data as well? Okay, So okay. They're, they're, they're mutually exclusive stories, kind of, but they're, they're on the same so moral if, compass, isn't it? if your Android phone or your iPhone or your Microsoft laptop with Cortana of it, uh, enabled is listening into your conversation, is there an argument that the NSA should have access to that data? Is that is that part is that part of it then? That is that is part of the argument. Yeah, should they? Should they? Or shouldn't they? Yeah, because then they can also listen in on the drug deals that are going down. Exactly. Potentially. Yeah. And then make arrests based on that. Okay. Mm. You say it's um, an invasion of privacy, but did we did did anyone expect it? I mean, is it worse that humans are listening rather than machines if it's going to be written down? It's a it's a good question. I mean, it's neither better nor worse. I think it's more a case of it's justifiable because in order for this machine for us to um, ensure, or rather for these organisations to ensure that their speech recognition machine learning models are accurately transcribing the what the actual conversation is and what they think is being said, then it does need somebody to look at it and compare it, a human analyst to look at that and make that decision. Yeah. Otherwise, we're just relying solely on machines yeah. to make that decision. So it is assisting towards retraining that model, basically. And so what are the companies doing about it? Are they just, is it just put up and shut up or are they going to fix it? Or So Google, Apple and Facebook have actually suspended contractor access to recordings okay. off, the back of, um, off the back of this information coming to light. Um, however, the suspensions are not permanent. Actually, Google's was only within the EU, in fact. Oh, uh, okay. Um, so at any point, basically, they could start doing it, doing mm-hmm. it, doing it again, basically. Yeah. Um, Amazon, with regard to Amazon, you can actually review, listen to and delete your voice recordings associated with your account through your Amazon Echo, actually. So you can listen to your drug deals back. Precisely, yeah, if you you wanted to (laughs) (laughs) recall that. 
that moment. And so basically Amazon's response to them potentially snooping on your conversations is to allow you to potentially snoop on your own home as well if you wanted to. So if you're here, you wanted to go listen to your voice recordings, um, what's going on at home, you could go ahead and do that as well. Right. Um, and in fact, I did find while I was looking through, you can disable um, the option to help Amazon improve their services and develop new features. If you really, if you want to revoke the permission for them to basically um, have human analysts listen to this, and you could do so by going to uh, manage your content and devices, Alexa privacy, manage how your data improves Alexa within Amazon, and then you can turn off the help improve Amazon services and development new features. And that'll stop the humans listening to your request. I think so. It's kind of the best. Um, it, it's, it's an option within there. It says if you turn this off, voice recognition and new features may not work well for you. And above that, it's it it it's sort of got a, a a blurb about how by providing that information, Amazon do use that information to retrain their model. So by disabling, and that's the point at which basically human analysts would read it, yeah, listen to it even. Um, and by turning that off, you can. I would assume from what they're saying here, then, yep. then yes, human analysts wouldn't listen to that. Okay. So this is an interesting argument, isn't it? Because you're, so what, what we're saying here is that basically, is it is it Amazon that's restricted access now to contractors listening to this data, but anybody else that works for Amazon, not for a contracting company that is working on behalf of Amazon, can still listen to that those recordings back? Most likely, or from what it sounds like. So Amazon specifically um, weren't necessarily listed to ones that had then revoked that. In fact, they explicitly state that only an extremely small fraction of voice recordings are manually reviewed. So they're still manually reviewing them. However, in the case of Google, um, Apple and Facebook, they have all actually said that, yes, they've they've stopped contractors listening. So oh, okay. that so means Amazon's still, the only one that's not stopped contractors listening. Uh, not the only one, in fact. So Microsoft, okay. which which comes on to an interesting story that was in Next Security this week about Microsoft's approach to it. So while the other companies have made some somewhat of a cursory effort in order to suspend the sharing of these voice recordings mm-hmm. from AI technology, Microsoft has instead just updated its privacy policy basically. Um, And it's added a new section basically saying our processing of personal data for these purposes includes both automated and manual brackets, human close brackets, methods of processing Um, talks a bit about how it uses it for AI. And it says to build, train and improve the accuracy of of our new of our automated methods of processing. We manually review some of the predictions and inferences produced by the automated methods against the underlying, et cetera, et cetera. So they've just basically added their section into their privacy policy. So they can keep to, doing To say they can keep doing it. So yeah, so these companies are basically trying to find a balance between what is justifiable mm. for their machine learning elements and also what where the law stands from a privacy perspective um, and also what customers will tolerate. Yeah. As, as I said before, I've boycotted these sort of devices on the grounds of and disabled speech recognition on, on my phone on the grounds of I don't want that level of information, my conversations to be readily accessible to, to the highest bid or to, or to these organisations. Yeah. So it kind of beds begs the conversation now how how comfortable are you with this sharing of your recordings as well i'm the same i've disabled it in fact i didn't want to have i didn't want anything like that and we actually got i got given an alexa for christmas and so that was hard because you're like well maybe i'll just see because it's free and it's a nice present um but i turn it off at the at the mains every time it's i'm not using it so basically i just have it to say alexa play me blah blah but yeah it, it does it is weird 
Do you know how many people at home now that are listening to this have their oh. Alexas playing blah blah right now? Yeah. <laughs> Alexa, play blah blah. So I actually I don't use Alexa and I don't have any of the home devices that sit there listening to you, but right. I do use OK Google quite a lot, which is I'm apologizing for anybody that's got their phone switched on <laughs> and is now trying to interpret whatever I'm saying or whatever you're saying. But I use I use that particular feature on my phone. Uh, if I'm driving, I think, I hope this is illegal. This is legal as I'm saying this. Uh, but I use that feature whilst I'm driving to be able to change tracks, to play different yeah. music or to, to change direction to somewhere else so that I don't have to touch my phone and I can just say the magic words yeah. and then ask my phone to do something. And I find it exceptionally useful, but I have in the past found it also exceptionally inaccurate yeah. at points. So when it is inaccurate, so if I say to to my phone, the magic words, which I try not to repeat again, and then ask it to, for instance, change track to a different track or try and put in a different direction and it doesn't understand what I'm saying. I am kind of, I'm quite happy that that data is being sent back to Google post obvious recording time um, for for Google to be able to improve their service so that it is more, more accurate and less buggy in the future. So I, I'm all for user improvement and the pro- progress of, of their technology because I think it's really useful and it means that I can do things that would otherwise be illegal to do if I was touching my phone. Um, but, yeah, if they're still recording at the times when you're not yeah. saying the magic words to get your phone to activate or the Alexa to activate, for example, then, then yeah, I, I, I do have a bit more of a problem with that. Yeah, if they're listening in on your conversations, if it's actual yeah. humans listening in. Yeah. yeah, which is why it's quite good when you go into, like like Amazon have done it, it's quite good if you go into um, the Google timeline, you can see all of the location data they've yeah. got on you, but you can also see that that all of the recordings that they've got on you as well, so that you know when they've recorded you asking your phone to play the next song or to direct you to a new place or, right, okay. or, or do whatever else in the background. Yeah. There is actually an option in Amazon as well on that note for Google Assistant that I found when I was be- busy sort of trying to find how to turn it off. There's an option to enable Google Assistant only in car car mode or driving mode, as it were. So if you really want, if that's the only time ah. you use it, you might want to enable that feature to say that uh, the Google Assistant is only enabled when you're driving. Outside of that, you can trust. That's what you should do. Trust I'm going to enable that when yeah. I go away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so I guess just to summarise, my, my opinion is to assume that by leaving speech recognition enabled on your personal devices or by adopting a dedicated voice assistant device such as an Echo or an Amazon Home, you're basically granting these companies authority to retain any and all audio that's picked up within the proximity of those devices, basically. Um, The holding company and potentially, as we've seen here, third parties and contractors then, of course, could listen to, read or analyse that information as well. Um, So if you're uncomfortable with that, you can go ahead and disable speech recognition. Or as we said before, you might want to limit it to when you actually use it, because obviously, such as in driving mode, as we said, with yep. uh, Google Android system, for example. Um, and also, don't you might not want to adopt a dedicated voice assistant device. I mean, I personally would, you know, g- get out my phone and type in weather to know what the weather is, or actually just look out a window as opposed to saying, Alexa, can you tell me what the weather is? <laughs> and again, apologies if you have an Alexa now and it's now telling you what the weather is. <laughs> I um, I just bought some AirPods, don't judge me. Judged. And uh, the only way you can control the volume on them is to use Siri. So it's really annoying. You have to set the volume 
and then you can you can tap to turn it off and turn it on and skip to the track, but you can't adjust the volume unless you enable Siri. So I'm stuck with one volume. What's the point, Anna? You're just showing off. I look cool though. You look cool. I actually don't. I'm ashamed of them. I put my hair over my ears. Do you? But they're really good. Yeah. I'd recommend them if you had an Apple phone, but you don't. Anyway, Matt, you're going to talk to us about fishing. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> I think you were just fishing then, actually. Yeah. <laughs> I think that is a great example of fishing. <laughs> well, uh, what are you going to talk to us today about? Fishing, yeah. P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G. Not, not freshwater fishing, no. not sea fishing. Bit of trout. Bit of trout fishing, <laughs> carp fishing. Yep. Oh, there's lots of other fish available. There is. It could be a long long game if Let's we played this game. This, <laughs> Where's Duck and Mark? Yeah, we've got no adults. Uh, so, yeah, no, I'm talking about fishing. And, and fishing's been, I think, quite high on the agenda for the past few years since it's the primary attack vector for a lot of organisations now. Um, the FBI uh, came out with a term, or, or um, IC3 came out with a term, uh, business email compromise. Yeah. Uh, not not all that long ago in, in kind of, they've been monitoring the amount of business email compromises uh, from 2013 onwards. Right. What is business email compromise? So yeah, business email compromise or BEC, you'll often see it shortened to, is basically just phishing when it's successful and it's against a business. Right. Okay. So the general phishing that we kind of get used to at home on a daily basis, maybe uh, your general uh, quite obvious scammer or DHL failed delivery notice to say, yep. please open this attachment to see your something we failed to deliver to your house or maybe something else along those lines, which yep. is pretty simple, pretty generic and can be sent out to thousands of people all at one time. Business email compromise will take a similar form, but it may be a little bit more targeted at that organisation. Right, okay. They want to take the organisation down specifically. So is that the same as spear phishing? Yeah, well, it could use spear phishing. So right. spear phishing is focusing on an individual. It's right. focusing on somebody trying to target them with something that is, they may have done some Googling around that person, found them on LinkedIn, found them on Facebook, other social media platforms are available, <laughs> and then discovered a little bit of information about them yeah. and then used that information to target that person. It's a similar thing with business email compromise where they're, they're, they're using spear phishing to get in. So another term that they've come out with in the industry is whaling, where people, the, the attacker will target the CEO or a C-level exec to be able to leverage, um, leverage a senior person in the business to see if they'll click on, click on a link within an email or open an attachment that's right, sent okay. within an email. Because obviously their, their account will be, um, will be an important one yeah. to get because they'll have access to people in finance, they'll have access to other people in the organisation yep. to actually... Um, to actually get them to, to send money directly to the attacker, for yeah. instance. Uh, so so that's actually why the FBI have come up with a statement, not talking about whaling specifically, but saying that the attackers are kind of skipping this step and just pretending to outright be the CEO rather than right, okay. compromising the CEO's email account mm -hmm. first. So they'll target they'll target individuals in, for, for example, the finance team. And once they get into that, once they get to that person in the finance team, they'll tell that person to. Um, tell that person to transfer money to a specific account. Now, the real difficulty with this is that they don't have to use any malware whatsoever. Right. They don't need to use a targeted file that's going to exploit your machine, get it to call back into a command and control server, and then control your PC to get it to do funky stuff. Because all they need to do is 
send you a link to some bank account details and say, can you pay the money here? Yeah. And none of that is specific, or it is malicious, but none of that can be recognised as malicious activity necessarily, yeah. unless you're using a machine learning algorithm to detect the language. But it's still going to be a similar email that you're going to receive. Yeah, it's, it's literally just like the first stage of the cyber kill chain, isn't it? It's just reconnaissance, yeah. and then it's in t- there's no payload whatsoever. It's just social engineering, yeah. fundamentally, isn't it? It's tricking people. It's, you know, the oldest play in the book. It's fishing before technology was around, you know? Yeah. So, so IC, IC3 are the, are the US body for reporting these types of incidents. So if you lose money and you're based in the US, or in fact, if you're based anywhere around the world, you can report the money that you've lost and what happened to IC3. And they highly recommend doing it. They provide right, okay. really good help uh, and insight into what's happening in the industry. Now, IC3 reported back in 2018 that between... 2013 and uh, sorry October of 2013 and May of 2018 BEC is reported to have made 12 or to have lost businesses 12 billion dollars wow so so they're being very successful in doing this this business email compromise Uh, now between 2016 June of 2016 and May of 2018 so a shorter period of of time just in the US alone the uh, there's been reported losses of 1.6 billion um which is a huge amount of yeah. money. So they're, they're being very successful in these kind of crafted attacks at getting people to transfer money to a specific location. Now, there's not one specific technique which they're not going to use. So I'm not saying they're going to come at you with yeah. an email asking for you to transfer money to a specific location. One of the more recent attacks they've been using is something called a gift camp, gift card scam, which um, started in 2018, making $1 million in 2018, once again, according to IC3. So, um, so this gift card scam takes the form of asking somebody to purchase gift cards as a reward scheme for staff internally. So they may pretend to be the CEO of the business. They may pretend to be just a senior management, uh, part of the senior management team within that business. Yep. And they'll say, can you buy £1,000 worth of Amazon gift vouchers? We're going to give them out to staff for a incentive scheme. Yep. So so if people achieve a certain amount on um, sales teams, for instance, then they're going to get an Amazon gift card for £100 or $100, for instance. And this, this, kind of, this new scam is being called um, that that gift card scam and it's it's starting to lose businesses a lot of money. So basically business email compromise, it takes many different forms. Yeah. There's many different ways that they come in. One of the huge things that they're targeting at the moment is Office 365. So there's an article coming out at the moment. It'll be, a, it'll be out by the time that this podcast is released yeah. talking all about a, a scam aimed at businesses that is targeting Office 365. So Office 365, you log into it to get your emails, to get access to your emails. Lots and lots of businesses around the world are adopting Office 365 for access to Microsoft Office, for access to their business emails, for instance, because it's really simple to set up and it's easy to use. It's a good tool. Um, Unfortunately, it means the cyber crooks are now adopting Office 365 to easily log into your account because they don't need to compromise an exchange server to to be able to get access to uh, complicated exchange rules and every email within the business. They have to compromise an Office 365 account. So, How are are they doing that? Do we know? Yeah, the way way that they're doing it is through phishing. So simple phishing emails. They, They set up a website. 
So there, there's there's the attacker will follow this kind of process. Firstly, they'll set up a website. Now they've got many different methods of setting up a website. One of them is they could purchase a domain, or they could look at um, look at using some sort of online service for doing a free trial of that service for setting up a website. Right. Um, HTTPS is pretty much everywhere now. It's not difficult to get your hands on HTTPS uh, certificate. So usually that website will be HTTPS. Yeah. It won't just be HTTP. Or the attacker has the option of compromising a website. So they'll they'll take a website which has been online for a number of years, for a long time, and they will try and exploit it in some way. So they've got access to create pages at their will. They can, they can make a web page associated to that website. So um, once they've exploited that website, they don't. They may not have as much opportunity to change the domain name. So the domain name may be, I don't know, yourlocalschool.ac or yourlocalschool.gov, for instance. Yep. They'll then add some subdomain onto that. So it may be one. Uh, it may be that they add the subdomain of um, check your emails or youroffice365account.com.yourlocalschool.ac or yourlocalschool.gov. So they'll add that subdomain. Right. On. And once they, so, once they've got their platform for performing this attack, they've got that website set up. They'll they'll copy and paste the Office three six five logon page. The Office three six five logon page isn't secret. The, the HTML is there in plain text. When you go to Office three six five, you can anybody could sort of copy and paste that web page format. Mm -hmm. Meaning that you've got a login prompt ready for for them. They've got a login prompt ready for them to 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 take usernames and passwords. They just need to redirect the database that those usernames and passwords are being stored to. So they've got a website set up. They've got an emulated Office 365 login page. Yep. What they then do is they, they'll do something like redirect that login page when you click log on to a 404 page not found or some other sort of error, which would hopefully not inspire too much um, confusion or mm -hmm. won't, won't make the make the person that's receiving the victim of this attack. <laughs> that was a complicated way of saying that. <laughs> it won't make the victim of this attack think too much about it. It won't yep. make them think... Um, uh, might make won't them even worried that they've been compromised in any way. So once they've once they've got all this set up, they'll just craft a craft a clever email, maybe to one person, maybe to every person in the organisation. Um, worst case scenario, it'll probably be one person, and it'll be very very specific to that one person, saying, "Please log into your account here." We uh, and it usually has some form of urgency in in that email, asking asking them to do some update or something to Office three six five. Once the person's received that email, the link will then lead to that website they've set up, to that login page that they've set up, and it will steal their credentials so that the attacker can then log in to their Office 365 account on their behalf. So that's one of the techniques they use. There may be others okay. out there, but that's quite a common one. Yeah, so it's credential harvesting via phishing email campaign, right? That's it, um, exactly. Yeah, as, as you say, they could use potentially data breach, breach records as well. They may, you know, go poking around, find some breach records, leverage those same passwords. If you have users that are recycling passwords internally that have also been that they've used for their elsewhere on a different website that has since been breached, had those passwords breached, they might just try those credentials against Office 365, that password against the same email to see if it's the same account, which point, as you say, as soon as they've got at the end of the day, there is no payload here in business email compromise. It literally just is email. It's just social engineering mm. via email. So once they have an in, albeit through credential harvesting with a with a forged web portal, as as you said there before for Office three six five, or whether it just be from breached records, yeah. as we soon as they're in, stuffing, they could right? do fundamentally mm. anything. It, it, it's mm. so long as they they can trick people into doing what they want to do, then yeah, the the possibilities are potentially endless. Yeah. 
And it's not just email, is it? Didn't you write an article a few years ago about WhatsApp phishing? Yeah, we called it wishing and it really annoyed everyone, which I quite enjoyed. Yeah, because it's WhatsApp phishing. Do you I get see, it? Yeah, I see what you did. See what we did there? Yeah, yeah. clever. Really clever, right? Oh, no, we got it. Everyone got it. I don't that. think it was too ambiguous. <laughs> what happened there? I got a text from my next door neighbour and my next door neighbour was asking me to sign up for free Virgin Atlantic tickets. And I thought it was really odd because I thought obviously a mobile had been compromised in some way. Not so obvious it hadn't. She'd just been compromised. Yeah. <laughs> so she believed every word that was said to her from one of her friends that had also fallen for this hook, line and sink. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hook, line and sink. Uh, um, so... She'd fallen for it. Her friends had fallen for it. And basically they'd been filling in their details onto this fake Virgin Atlantic website to get their free holiday abroad to somewhere very luxurious. Ah, okay. So have you got, how do people avoid phishing attacks? So my tips are firstly, if you receive an email, always check, well, when you receive an email, always check the sender. So check who sent it to you. Now do be aware that the sender could be spoofed. So people can spoof emails to make it look like it comes from within your organisation. Right. But what quite often happens is they'll purchase a domain which looks very similar to your actual domain. So if there's a hyphen in your domain name, if there's a hyphen in your business, um, your organisation name, they'll put an underscore. Right. They can also they can also use other tricks to make it look very, very similar, just with typos or with something called Punicode, which we won't go into a great deal of detail on. <laughs> yep. Um but uh, so that's that's the first tip. Tip number one is check the sender, check who sent it to you. The second tip is just check for a matter of urgency in the email. If the uh, if the email says you urgently need to do this right away and then gives you a link to click on, yep. don't click on the link. Give them a call first and not from the phone number that's within the email or walk walk down to their desk if somebody's based in the same office as you. Just go and talk to the person that's sending you that email. Say, did you send this to me? Do you actually want me to spend £2,000 on gift cards or $2,000 on gift cards? Yeah. Even if that's the CEO, don't be afraid to ask them because you're the one that'll be getting fired if you <laughs> accidentally... Possibly. Well, possibly getting fired <laughs> or getting the blame at least yep. if you accidentally purchase loads and loads of gift cards for the business that is actually for a cyber criminal. Tip number three um, is around multi-factor authentication, enabling multi-factor authentication. I mean, as as you said, business email compromise, the the root cause of business email compromise is an adversary compromising your business email, hence the name. But in order to, um, I guess, secure your email account, your Office 365 account, for example, by having a second factor of authentication or multiple factors of authentication, then it means that if they, if an attacker or an adversary does gain access to um, your password, for example, they still can't necessarily gain access to your account because they need to also gain access for a second form of authentication. So by having things like um, authenticators and passcodes, that can assist in securing your business email account, basically. Okay, great. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we move on to uh, my questions I've got? I've got a lot of questions for you guys. Yep. Are you ready? Yeah. So the first one is, I've got an app that I upload my spending to. How do I know what they're doing with my data? I think it kind of loops back to the, um, you know, the Microsofts, the Amazons, the Facebooks, the, the having access to, to your recording and your conversations. I mean, you are, by 
agreeing to their terms and conditions, i.e. by adopting and enabling those features on the devices, you are willingly giving that information to the company for them to do with whatever in their terms and conditions they see fit with whatever they disclose or, or, or you agree with them, they can do with that information. So I would advise, as as dull as it may be, do take a look at the T's and C's. If you're uploading information to a particular website or service in some way, shape or form, take a look at the terms and conditions and see what they state that they're going to do with that information. Um, ultimately, if you are sending information about all of your spending habits, it's generally I, I tend to, I'm a bit of a skeptic, but I tend to assume the worst yeah. i assume that they're going to 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 um potentially use that information unjusted to its full potential basically profitability for them as an organization at the end of the day so do be careful about who you give your information to if you're comfortable giving your spending data to to an organization just be aware that they may not just use it to to assist you in giving that information back to you. They may then pass that on to third parties or get contractors to look at it, as we saw in the case of, um, you know, Microsoft, Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And because I missed Dark, I think there needs to be a limerick that's be aware of what you share. Oh, oh that's yeah, good. That's a dark, good. That's a that is a good one. It is duckism. That is a good one. Okay, next one. Is it really worth making your account private on Instagram? Sure. It depends. It depends what your purpose of your account is, I think. Okay. Like naked security, if that account was private, that, that would be pretty, pretty poor <laughs> move, <good>. really. <laughs> that's not a big, big, that's not a very good business decision. Um, but yeah, it depends. If it's your personal account, you've got personal information on there. Once again, be aware of what you share. Yeah. So if you're sharing information about your holiday on Instagram, make sh- that make sure you're aware that you are sharing information about where you've just gone. And that is publicly available information. Yeah. So if you are receiving an email from a partner business that says, how was your holiday in location Y, Magaluf, let's say. <laughs> nice. <laughs> then then you're, you need to be aware that you've shared that information publicly, which is why they've got access to that information. Yeah. And it may, be, it may be that that person that, you, that sent you that email, they... You may have told them about the holiday, which put, lulls you into a false sense of security, which is how you end up getting compromised through some sort of business email yeah. compromise. So, so just be careful. Lock it down if you if you are concerned about that information being shared externally. If you don't need millions of followers on your Instagram account, um, there, then then it's up to you whether you whether you keep it private or yeah. not. That's it. So I think I think it's um, it solves a privacy problem, but not all privacy problems basically so you know it solves the problem of strangers looking at your account and as matt said you know seeing where you've been on holiday and what your birthday is and all this information about you um by locking it it means that strangers can't access that information however one thing to be aware of for example as we've seen in the case of you know cambridge analytica for example is that all of your friends have visibility even if your account is private they still have visibility of lots of your personal information right and if they willingly agree to an organization, a third party having access to their information through Facebook, for example, that could potentially compromise your information as well. Um, and again, it's, it's we could probably talk all day about you know the, the moralities and the issues there there within basically with that story. But yeah, it, it's it it solves a privacy issue, but not all privacy issues basically. Right. Okay. Thank you. Um, next one. How do I protect myself from ransomware? General t- ransomware can come in by any means. It can come in through exploits your organisation. It can come in through a business email compromise. It, come, it can come in, you know, phishing email, which is part of business email compromise. Um, so, yeah, by securing your email accounts fundamentally and, and securing yourself, 
then yes, you are protecting yourself at the what's called the reconnaissance and delivery stage of the malware delivery. So um, if you're familiar with the cyber kill chain, there's five stages to a cyber attack. And the delivery stage is, is the point at which the attacker delivers a weaponized bundle to the victim, such as via email, such as via SMB in the case of WannaCry, which is a server message block, it's a, a service that's exploited, or such as via RDP. Um, do we have any literature on oh, RDP? Have that you, we I don't know. Recently? Have we done anything recently? Sophos.com slash RDP? Sophos.com slash RDP. Ah, yes. Yeah, yeah no. that's, right. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Check it out. One thing users can do is make offline backups. Is that right? Yeah, offline backups are always good because if you do get hit by ransomware, because it can come in via any means and, yep. and the, the goalposts are always shifting. So it may be email that is coming in via today, but it may be an exploit that comes in via tomorrow. So um, any security advice is good for, for, for stopping ransomware because yep. any security advice is trying to stop an attack happening to you, which may well end up with the payload being ransomware. So... Um, so, yeah, an offline backup allows you to make sure if you do get hit by ransomware, if the worst happens, you've got your data still stored somewhere so you can restore it back to the location you want it to be. And, and I guess that comes into to what we try and do within the Sophos product portfolio, within yep. IntercepTX and within the likes of Sophos Home Premium. Um, we have uh, we have something called CryptoGuard, which looks at rolling back any data automatically that gets encrypted and stopping that ransomware as it's running on the system. Um, but but yeah, every security measure is good at stopping ransomware. Right. Basically. And so IntercepTX is for business, and Sophos Home is for home. Yeah, Sophos yeah. Home Premium has got that CryptoGuard, and then there's also okay. WipeGuard, which is stopping your full disk being encrypted, which was used in things like NotPetya, for instance. Okay. Thank you. Okay, next one. Is Instagram really listening to me? I speak about subjects and then I see ads about them. So I guess this comes back to Ben's topic that he spoke about earlier. They, they, I mean, if you read the T's and C's of Instagram, I'm sure they've got the ability to access your microphone and maybe listen into you at certain points. But when they actually call upon that listening function, I guess you're not going to know. So it's it's really down to the employees of Instagram writing it into their legal conditions and making you aware to what they're doing. So I, I guess we, we don't know. We can't say whether they are recording you at all times or okay. at any times. It's difficult to say. Same as we can't know, say if, if um, if an Android phone's listening to you when you're not saying, okay, Google, we can't say whether, you know, Facebook's listening to you at all times, same that we can't say, um, you know, Google ad services aren't listening to you at all times. It's, it's difficult to say without yeah. actually seeing the inner workings of how those programs are made, what what's in their code base. This is it, exactly. So, and, and, and by no means saying that Instagram are um, listening potentially, but one thing to bear in mind is if, you know, everyone's, heard stories or it may have personally happened to you where you um you may be aware of of a situation where somebody said something and then they've gone to their phone and they suddenly get advertising around exactly that for example so yeah that advertising may appear on instagram but it might not be instagram that's then got that information interpreted and said and then, and then presenting that advertising to you that targeting ads could be done through google tra- ad tracking service or, or some other you know third party right. again that information gets shared and it could be ad tracking based upon what you're saying 
shown to you through Instagram, right. but not necessarily Instagram that's 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 putting those two together, that's accessing that d- data. It may be d- being done in the background by a third party. Yeah. It's probably also because Instagram's owned by Facebook and they've got, Facebook have got all of your likes, all of your dislikes that you've liked over yeah. the past however many years that you've had Facebook. They've also got the ability to listen to you at certain points. Maybe you've had the camera open whilst you've been saying something when yeah. the microphone is on and they may be sending that back to their services for quality purposes perhaps they use that data for ad traffic as well once again difficult to say without knowing the inner workings of every single app and what happens within these businesses okay Uh, is it better to buy personal VPN is it better to buy a personal VPN to protect my privacy does it prevent being monitored by ISP well, by its very nature, VPN is, is private. So it basically encrypt, encrypts your traffic, yep. all of your web traffic between your end device, let's say on your laptop, for example, or your mobile device, to um, an, another endpoint or a terminator for that virtual private network. That session is encrypted. So all the traffic that flows between those two points are encrypted. And that, that you know, the, the VPN may be to let's say somewhere in, in Scandinavia, for example. So my traffic comes out my laptop, goes tunnels down uh, through the VPN, out my ISP over to at somewhere in Scandinavia where it comes to an exit node or a terminating node for that VPN, then goes out through their ISP. So fundamentally, it's unable. we're unable to confirm once it leaves the VPN, yep. other people could still have visibility of that. So your ISP may not get visibility of that at, at, at that point. But it's not anonymizing the, tra- the the traffic, so you shouldn't be lulled into a false sense of security of if I'm VPNing, I'm completely anonymous. That's certainly not the case. Um, it's just enables you to basically geographically reroute your traffic and proxy it through a different region, basically. Okay, thank you. And on the subject of VPNs, someone's asked, can I game via VPN? You can. It's probably going to add a bit of latency. Okay. Um, so there's a resource overhead. Obviously, you're encrypting all of the traffic. So that does have a bit of an overhead and also introduces a latency where for gaming, particularly for, you know, first person shooters and those sorts of games, you, latency is kind of quite integral and quite important. Right. Um, so it's not ideal. Basically. Okay. Your headshot may be a few milliseconds behind. Precisely. Exactly. <laughs> no one wants that. Yeah. I don't. Um, and then the final question, how do I stop apps from tracking my location? So um, you can look into permissions on your phone. So with uh, the I think with the Android and the iPhone ecosystem, every app will have to act. It, will ha- it asks for permissions in order to gain access to your to your location. So if you've enabled those permissions, then they have access to access your locations, and they have access to your location at any time. Yeah. So when you're when you've given them permission, they can ask for your location every. Uh, every five minutes, every 10 minutes, whenever they want on their polling, uh, whenever they decide to poll. So go into the permissions on your Android phone, on your iPhone of the app and just check out to see whether you've given location access to that app. Yep. If you have, you can revoke it at any time. And if you revoke it at any time, then it can no longer access that location, uh, your location. So for instance, Instagram, if you no longer want to give it access to your location, not entirely sure if Instagram <laughs> asks for your location. I'm sure it does. Yeah, I think it does. Um, but you can just turn that off. Right. You just turn it off and then they can't see where you are at any time. Cool. Thank you. Thanks, guys. That's it for the week. That's it. Uh, Matt, where can we find you on social media? Infosec Body on Instagram and Twitter. Ben? At Ben Crypting on tr- Twitter. On Twitter? On Twitter. <laughs> I'm at Anna Brady on Twitter and we're at Naked Security on Twitter, Instagram. And you can find us on Facebook by searching for Naked Security. 
Thank you. Massive thanks to Alice, our podcast producer. <laughs> and thanks, Ben and Matt. If you want to ask us any questions, you can do that on Twitter, Instagram, or you can send us tips at sophos.com. Send us an email. And until next time, stay, stay secure. secure.